The text is printed in your bulletin. We'll also have it up on the screens, but we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 6 this morning. Again, another Psalm of David. And in his book, uh, Cornelius Plantiga, uh, he wrote a book entitled, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. He said this, The story of the fall tells us that sin corrupts. It puts asunder what God has joined together and joins together what God had put asunder. Like some devastating twister, corruption both explodes and implodes creation, pushing it back towards the formless void from which it came. So we live in a world now where sin has stained every aspect of life. The things like are not supposed to be this way. The title of his book is not the way it's supposed to be. That is a definition of how creation is now. So the brokenness, the, the pain that we feel all the time was never supposed to be here. And if you're anything like me, we feel the very effect of sin in our very bodies, our very beings. We face pain and sickness as a normal part of our life. Just 10 days ago, my youngest daughter was at daycare and they called me and said, you need to come pick her up because she has a fever. And she had hand, foot, and mouth, which took her out for 10 days. That's a normal occurrence, right? In all of our lives that we face sin, we face pain and sickness all the time. So today in Psalm chapter 6, this is another Psalm of David. If we're going to put it in a category, it's a Psalm of individual lament. And some scholars will even go as far to say that it's a Psalm of sickness, that he is lamenting physical sickness. So the context of this prayer is David is afflicted first in body, right? With sickness, but that not only stops there. He is afflicted in his body, which causes his soul to be afflicted. His body is aching with sickness and pain, but his soul feels weary because his body is hurting. So we're going to be looking at the entire chapter in Psalm chapter uh, 6. So if you would, open up to God's word uh, with me this morning. This is Psalm chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter together. To the choir master with string instruments according to Shemineth, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death, there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as people in this room that face 
pain, that face sickness, that our bodies ache. And Father, as we come today to Psalm chapter 6, we pray that our eyes would be opened to not only the lament of King David, but also the lament of your own son, Jesus Christ, that this world that we live in was not supposed to be this way. And Father, we pray that you would be here moving in our midst. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, early in my uh, theological um, journey, I asked my dad who some of his favorite theologians were, and I think I may have mentioned this before, but several of my uncles are pastors also, and I asked him, who are their favorite theologians? So I'm starting to read all these different areas, and one of my favorite, my uncle's favorite theologians is uh, J.C. Ryle. He was a 19th century uh, theologian. If you know uh, things about this time, that sickness was rampant in the 19th century. Obviously, there was not modern medicine like we have today. And in the midst of his ministry, he paused and he wrote a little treaty. It's about 30 pages, but it's just so good on the idea of sickness. Because so many of his people were facing dire sickness. And he says this in his book. Sickness is everywhere. Sickness is among all classes. Grace does not lift a believer above the reach of it. Riches will not buy exemption from it. Rank cannot prevent its assaults. Kings and their subjects, masters and servants, rich men and poor, learned and unlearned teachers and scholars, doctors, patients, ministers and hearers, all alike go down before this foe. The rich man's wealth is his strong city from Proverbs 18.11. The Englishman's house is called his castle, but there are no doors and bars which can keep out disease and death. Whether we want to face it or not, we will all face sickness in this life. Maybe you are now, or maybe you know someone right now that is, is deathly ill. Maybe it's not coming in your life in the next week or month, but it will come at some point. I guarantee it. That we live in a sin-stained world where tears, where pain, where death, they surround us. That we have bodies that break down. That we have emotions that deceive us. And we have sin all around us that has shattered every part of creation. Today, as we look at Psalm chapter 6, we see the cry of a man who was plagued with sickness. J.C. Ryle later in his book says this, The subject of sickness is one which we ought to frequently look in the face. We cannot avoid it. It needs no prophet's eye to see sickness coming to each one of us in turn one day. In the midst of life, we are in death. Let us turn aside for a few moments and consider sickness as Christians. So today, what we're going to be looking at, the theme we're going to be looking at is the Lord hears the cries of his people in sickness. I have an outline for you in your bulletin. It should be up here on the screen as well, along with this theme. The Lord hears the cries of his people in sickness and answers them. And we're going to be looking at two primary things with two subpoints under each one. The first one is a plea to the Lord. We see David pleading to the Lord, first for grace and second for mercy. Secondly, we're going to be looking as the tone changes in the psalm in the latter half. Assurance in the Lord. First, we're going to look at he has heard my plea. And secondly, he, has, he accepts my prayer. 
I need to begin with uh, talking about Psalm chapter 6 here specifically, that there's different interpretations. Anytime we come to a a psalm, there's going to be lots of different uh, scholars who think different things. There are several different interpretations of this psalm. Uh, First, some people think it's general suffering, not just a sickness, but it's general suffering that you go through in life. Other scholars believe that uh, it's suffering due to discipline that's coming upon a person due to sin. Lastly, Some people think that it's suffering from physical sickness. And I won't get into the nitty-gritty of that, but after my research and I decided early in the week to go in this one direction, I feel like it is most appropriate for not only us, but for the Scripture itself, um, that this suffering is coming from a physical ailment. It's coming from sickness. So that's the direction we're headed. But I just want to say, sometimes in Psalms, you can have different applications. But today, we're going to go in that direction. I'm going to read the text uh, with that in mind the entire time, okay? So firstly, we're going to look at the plea to the Lord. So this is for grace first. He's pleading to the Lord for grace. Verses 1 through 3 say this. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? So the psalmist begins this idea that not only is his body hurting, like many of ours do, but it has led to anguish in his heart, anguish in his soul over his condition. He is worried. He's worried about his very body, right? And he turns to the Lord in despair. And he begins with asking the Lord, he says, don't rebuke me, don't discipline me. When I first read the text, I'm like, why why is he saying that? And after I, I thought about it some more and I read some more, I realize that he's coming to the Lord, admitting, say, Lord, don't discipline me. I know you are in control, that you know what is best. He doesn't want to presume that he knows better than God, right? So he's coming before him, submitting first to God's authority in the very first verse. But while submitting, the same time he does that, he asks for grace, He says, be gracious to me, God, in my dire situation. Be gracious to me. If you think about grace defined, this idea of grace, we talk about it all the time in the church, but I think it's helpful for us to have a a reminder of the definition. And an easy definition is grace is the unmerited favor of God. Unmerited, which means whatever favor you get from God that is grace, you did not do anything to earn it. In other words, you're saying to God, out of your goodness, Lord, give me your favor. I don't deserve it. I didn't do anything to earn it, but I need you. I need your favor. God, you are the one who holds my life in your hands. Give me your favor. So he's asking God to treat him in a way that is characteristic for who God is. By grace, give give me love and mercy. Because he's saying, I physically can't stand it anymore. He's asking for grace. Secondly, in his prayer, he asks for mercy. It's the second subpoint there under plea to the Lord for mercy. Verses 4 and 5 say this. Turn, O Lord. Deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? This first word in verse 4 is turn. We can actually understand it as return. He's essentially saying, 
Return to me, God. It feels like you have left me, that you are gone, that you are absent. Return to me, God, please, and deliver me from this misery. David here asks for mercy. He asks for deliverance from his sickness. And what does he say? What's the basis of his request? On the basis of God's very character. From his steadfast love. Chuck even mentioned this, alluded to it in Romans earlier. This idea of hesed, right? His covenant faithfulness. His covenant love for his people. So he's saying, God, it's who you are. It's who you are to be faithful to your people. To love your people. To have mercy. And I'm calling upon you to have mercy on me today. He goes on in verse 6. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. So up to this point, if David was not clear on how he's doing, here he is clear in verses 6 and 7. It tells us that he floods his bed with tears. It could literally be translated... I cause my bed to swim. Like he's crying so much that his very bed would be his life raft. His body and his soul are in anguish. And there's nothing else to do for him but to weep. The text says that his eyes waste away. And it's not of old age. His eyes waste away because of the grief that he has faced. There has been so many tears that have come through his eyes that they are starting to decay. So when we come to a time in like this in our own life, when this grief comes, I want to point us to Jesus. I want you to remember one specific story in Jesus' life. Jesus had a very good friend that fell ill. His name was Lazarus. Maybe just like you have a friend, a family member, a spouse, yourself even, who have felt how fell ill. Jesus' good friend, often we think of Jesus maybe above friendship. He had friends. A good friend of Jesus fell ill. And this sickness, it took the very life of his friend. Jesus travels the distance to see him. He meets his friends, Lazarus' sister, Mary, who was weeping upon seeing Jesus. And Mary takes Jesus to the tomb of Lazarus. And what is his reaction? He weeps. He weeps over the loss of a friend. He weeps over the pain of sickness and death. He weeps over what sin has done to creation. So when we are there, weeping in our bed over sickness, over the agony that it causes, know that Christ is there with you. Jesus is there with you, weeping over your pain and your brokenness that this world has caused. He weeps over your pain. He weeps over your hurt, all the agony in your life. So when we face sickness, dire situations in our life, when death seems so close, the worst result of sin is upon us, death. What else is there to do but weep? J.C. Ryle says this again in his book, 
Sickness is often one of the most humbling and distressing trials that can come upon a man. It turns the strongest into a child and it can unnerve the boldest person. When our bodies are unraveling, it not only hurts us on the outside, but it hurts us on the inside. Maybe even more than it hurts on the outside. And when this comes upon King David's life, he asks the Lord, deliver me. He asks for grace. He asks for mercy. You may have seen the movie John Q. Denzel Washington plays John Q. as a father of a young boy. The movie starts with uh, a scene at a baseball field, maybe about seven or eight-year-old boy. He's running around the bases and collapses. He's rushed to the ER and finds out that his heart is worthless, essentially is what the doctor says in the movie. It's useless. He's going to need a transplant at seven or eight. Long story short, the movie is about this father going to whatever end he can to help his son get well. If you know the movie, you know that he holds up by gunpoint a hospital to get his son well, right? In our sickness, often we are scrambling so much, doing whatever we can, like Denzel Washington in this movie. We are frantic doing whatever we can. Not that trying to get better is bad, but at any means possible, we do whatever we can to get better. We're so consumed with just the sickness being gone that we forget to turn to Jesus. Forget that he's there with us, mourning, crying. In David's prayer today, we see a heartfelt prayer, one of lament, pleading that the Lord hears him. He says, bring grace and mercy upon me. So in reading this psalm for us today, let us bow our knee in our sickness, praying that the Lord will bring mercy and grace in our lives. And you know, there's often times where uh, we can take certain parts of the scripture and say, this is a good model for certain parts of our life. This is a really good model for prayer and sickness. Right? First, we see that David has... He has acknowledged that God is in control. You are in control of all things, God. Don't discipline me. I don't know better than you. At the same time, put your grace upon me. I need your favor. I don't deserve it. Secondly, he pleads for mercy. He says, take this away. I don't like this pain. I don't like what it has done to my body or my heart. The fact that we have Psalm 6 at all is a testament that God wants to hear these pleas from his people all the time. Like we have a testament here that King David is saying with all of creation, this hurts. Remember our theme today, the Lord hears the cries of his people in sickness and answers them. He wants to hear you, church. He wants to hear you cry out to him, to ask for grace, to ask for mercy. So secondly, we're looking at assurance in the Lord. The first subpoint is he has heard my plea. This is verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says this. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. So you remember we came off the heels of him weeping in his bed. Remember? Floating upon his mattress because He's in a river of his tears. And now 
He's saying, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. There is a dramatic shift in tone here, right? He goes from swimming in his tears to calling his despair to depart. He is acknowledging that the Lord has heard his, his plea. The thing is that sometimes we'll uh, say, oh, I really just want to be like David, right? Most scholars actually say that uh, this psalm was maybe even written in a temple, and he was a priest or a priest, uh, a helper was in the temple and they heard the first seven verses and then spoke some truth to David. Said, that's not true. God is there with you. He has not left. So they speak these words of truth and we see that his, his, his life changes. He says here, the Lord has heard my plea after the truth has been spoken to his ear. This is why it's important for us to be in God's word. Because we can be despairing over and over again without any outside truth will stay in the circle. But we get truth from the outside. And it informs what we're going on, what's going on in our life. Before, David believed that the Lord had left him. But now we see in these verses, he believes that he is there with him. He is listening to his every plea. It's important to note that David says that God heard his prayer in the past. The past tense verb. He heard it in the past. It implies action that happened before the time that he is speaking. In verse 9, he goes on. What does it say in verse 9? This is, uh, secondly, he accepts my prayer. Verse 9 says this. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. It could, if I was translating this from, if I was doing a Hebrew assignment, like I once did, I would have translated this first. The Lord will accept my prayer. Because it's actually a future tense verb. The Lord has indeed heard his prayer. But the answer does not come in the present The answer to his prayer still lies in the future. So David's condition has not changed. It has not changed from from verse 7 to verse 8. Yet his confidence has. It has changed, right? Why? Because because he knows that one day God will heal him of every sickness, pain, and disease. And the act of divine healing and restoration is the ultimate consequence of of God's hearing his prayer. Maybe it won't happen today, but one day it will. Remember earlier, we talked about Lazarus. The thing is, I didn't finish the story from that narrative. At the end of the story, we see that death does not have the final word for Lazarus. Three words. Lazarus, come out. That's all it takes. By the power of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, death is turned to life. No longer does death hold its power when Jesus is present. So as we read Psalm chapter 6, we know that Jesus has conquered sin. He has conquered sickness and death forever. Romans tells us he will not come again to die. He has done it once and for all. So our comfort in our grief may not come, should not come from our sickness being healed. But ultimately, in the victory that is achieved on our behalf 
through Jesus Christ. In him, we have been given grace. We have been given mercy, the very things that David pleads for. So for us, Christian, Jesus hears your plea. He accepts your prayer. Many sicknesses will not end well. Our bodies will hurt, they will ache, they will decline. But as believers, we know that this is not the end of the story, right? When Jesus took on flesh, when he lived a perfect life, when he died, when he took on the wrath that was deserved for you and me, and he resurrected and beat sin and death once and for all, he turned the page in redemptive history. He began the renewal of all things. And one day upon his second return, he will heal every sickness. Death will be eradicated. So in our sickness today and tomorrow and the next day and in our grief, know that Jesus first, he weeps. He weeps over your pain. But not only that, he guarantees your salvation and renewal by the shedding of his own blood. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ by the power of his very blood. Every tear will be wiped away. Every sickness will be eradicated and death will forever cease. Let us pray together, church. Father, what a blessing it is to study a text that we get to see you so present. that In our hurt, in our sickness, in our pain, we know you have not left us alone. You sent your very son to die on our behalf and raise so that sickness be, may be a thing of the past one day. You will take away sin and death. That Jesus Christ, your very son, is our hope. He is our hope in our sickness. Father, we thank you for your word, for the constant reminder that you are so present, even though at times we feel like you are far away. Father, we thank you for this morning. You're giving us this time to study your word. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.